Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Jade Third Eye podcast. This podcast is a series of information sessions on all things AML CFT, including best practice, latest information advice, technology information, and interviews with experts. And today we're really lucky to be joined by Martin Dilley, who is an AML auditor, advisor, and expert who's consulted full-time as an AML CFT specialist since 2012. Martin has assisted hundreds of entities across every sector of capture through the provision of audit, consulting, and training services throughout New Zealand, Australia, Samoa, and Vanuatu. Martin, welcome and thank you so much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. It's great to have you. So today we're going to focus on the topic of independent assurance. So let's start with the basics. Can you first start by giving us some background on the regulations as they relate to audits and reviews. So starting with New Zealand, what report what are reporting entities required to do in this area? So uh, reporting entities, with the exception of high value dealers, uh, are required to get an audit every currently every two years, although that's going to move shortly to three year requirement from about mid uh, 2021. So uh, that's quite a major change, which we'll talk about a little bit more today. Uh, of course, the supervisors can require you to also get an audit at any point uh, on request. So it, this is one area I suspect we'll see a bit more of with the increased uh, time frame um, that maybe some of the more high risk industries like money remittance uh, and the banks may be forced to get uh, audits on a more regular basis. Uh, with the independent audit, it has to be exactly that. It has to be done by someone who's independent uh, from your organization. Uh, and it has to be someone who's, and you've got to be able to essentially demonstrate that the auditor has the skill set and the knowledge to undertake the audit. So that that obligation sits with the reporting entity. Okay, and what about in Australia? Is it different and how does this obligation compare? So Australia has an independent review requirement. So audit in New Zealand, review in Australia, um, differs in two key ways. So for while New Zealand has a set time limit, so so really that sets a, a maximum time period, there is no such time limit in Australia. It, it's based on your risk. So essentially that each reporting entity has to determine an appropriate period based on the risk. Uh, the other key thing is that it, it co doesn't cover all obligations strictly. So in New Zealand, that essentially the audit covers all of your major compliance obligations. In Australia, your program splits into part A and part B. And part B is essentially all your customer due diligence or know your customer obligations. So strictly speaking, your independent reviews don't have to cover customer due diligence, which always seemed very odd given it's probably one of the two biggest areas that you, you really have to get right. Uh, a lot of entities will choose to get that done at the same time, but once again, not strictly required. Uh, Australia does have an independent audit requirement, but that's one where Austrac, as the supervisor, can request you to get an audit and they will essentially approve and appoint that uh, person, but that is not often used. So generally we're talking about those independent reviews. Um, there is some discussion and argument whether there is a difference in level of assurance between an audit versus a review. Uh, I think a lot of people would prefer to say they're having a review rather than an audit. Uh, but I don't think necessarily that is the case. Um, certainly in New Zealand, as part of your audit, you can choose to get either a limited or reasonable assurance audit, um, which essentially provides you different levels of assurance. As the, um, without getting into the details, we could speak for hours on this. Um, <laughs> as to how much how much reassurance you want as to your level of compliance. 
Got it. So if we think about audits and reviews being you know, largely quite similar in terms of their purpose, what does a good audit or a good review look like? Yeah, that, I think that's the really good question. I think that's sometimes what people are trying to work out. What what does a good one look like for me? Um, from, a, from a straightforward scope point of view, it, an audit has to cover off all the obligations under the Act, um, as they're stated, and uh, in Australia that's slightly different, of course. But the key thing I think a lot of people miss is that the, a good order or review should leave the reporting entity in a better place um, than went before the audit. So by the time you've had your audit, you should have a pretty clear understanding on where you are with um, against each obligation. So how are we going with each of these? Are there any areas that need improvement? Um, and how do we go about achieving that? So you would like the, of course, the auditor can't uh, pick up the pencil and rewrite your act, uh, rewrite your program for you, but they should certainly point you in the direction of the sort of things that could be done to fix the issues. Um, and I think that's a bit that a lot of times people go through an audit process and or review process and they don't feel they get that. Uh, I've often had a client come back to me, uh, someone come back to me and say, I've re received an audit report from someone. I don't understand what it's telling me I've done wrong and I don't understand what it's how it's telling me to fix it. And I think that's always a key piece if for any auditors or people who do reviews out there listening, make sure that your client, the reporting entity, understands the report. Uh, preferably they understand it on the day so you don't have to go back after the, afterwards and re-explain what you've already written. Um, that's really the key, key thing for me. I'm sure we'll touch on some of the other aspects of it as well, but that's really the, the outcome you want. And you should always talk to your auditor about, you know, what, how they're going to make sure that you get that. And so what are, I guess, following on from that, what are some of the biggest risks or costs that are associated with the, the audit and review obligation? Yeah, well, the, the biggest risk is to not get one done at all. Uh, it is a key requirement under the Act. Uh, if you fail to get fail to get one done, it will be considered to be a breach of the Act and the supervisors will um, certainly have uh, a view on that and, and how to follow that up. And of course, I mean, it's not just the breach under the Act, which, which should always be a consideration, but if you don't get an audit done, you, you are missing out on that extra line of defence. So you're missing out on the value of the, having an independent person come along and review your documents, review your processes, and check whether you, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I always say to people, with an audit, it's better for an auditor to pick up any issues than it is for the supervisor to pick those up when they come in. Because it, it means that uh, one, you can often front foot any issues, um, but also you really are then setting your own timeframes. Whereas if a supervisor picks them up, then you're generally on their timeframes straight away. So the most important thing is get one done in the first place. Of course, the second biggest risk would be that you get an inadequate audit. So you get audited, but there's um, either the, the auditor has not done a thorough job, so has not looked at everything they're supposed to. Or there's risks also there where the, the auditor doesn't have the, that adequate knowledge to undertake the audit. So that wouldn't fall into two key areas. One is thorough knowledge of the AML legislation itself, but also knowledge about your business, your sector, so that they understand how that applies to your sector. So once again, these are things that you should be talking about with your auditors ahead of time. The biggest risk otherwise, I'd say, is lack of preparedness. So one thing that people often don't think about is 
they see the audit or the reviewers, the auditor and review reviewer has to come in and find something. They need to flip that over and say, how am I going to demonstrate to this person that I'm compliant against each of the obligations? So if I'm saying that my staff are well trained, how can I demonstrate that? If I'm saying that I'm monitoring for all my risks, how can I demonstrate that? So it's really about making sure you're prepared to do that. So making sure you, your staff are trained, make sure you've got the records, make sure you've documented everything so that you are able to do that. And also including that just openness, just be ready to share with the, the auditor. The auditor's not there to catch you out, they're there to help you. So once again, it's still better that they find something and can help you identify what the issue is and and a, a way out of it than to have uh, to, to not share that information. So I think that's always a key thing. But look, I would always say preparedness does not mean running around the month before the auditor turns up quickly trying to make new registers and, and backfill things. It, it really comes down to making sure you, you get into that good habit and those controls of keeping your records going the whole time, um, keeping your registers up to date, keeping your documents up to date, undertaking assurance, internal internal assurance to make sure that, yep, things are working as we expect. Uh, and any auditor will be able to pick up where things have been done at the last moment. And they'll realize that, yes, you did it for the last month, but not for the uh, 23 months before that. Right. And surely there's a lot of cost and stress associated with trying to get things organized at the last minute, whereas if you have a good program all the time, there's Absolutely. Yeah, a better outcome. Yeah. So are there any particular trends that you've seen lately or any changes that you anticipate coming up that reporting entities should be aware of in either jurisdiction? Yeah, well, obviously, New Zealand, the, the move from New Zealand from two years to three years is, is a big one. Um, I think once again, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in practice, whether firms choose to still take a shorter time frame. Um, personally, I think three years is quite a long time frame between audits. One of the big issues we see is that um, a lack of follow-up on your audit recommendations. So in New Zealand, the audit requirement, the same in Australia, the review requirement, there's no obligation on the auditors to follow up the, the recommended actions to make sure they've been done. They may get re-engaged for an audit later on and they'll come back and check whether you've done what you're supposed to be doing. Um, in some jurisdictions, you're starting to look at this where the auditors will have a responsibility to check whatever has been agreed to be fixed has actually been fixed. So it's that's the big issue is where um, people are not following up and closing off those audit findings um, in a timely fashion. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, in Australia, they've got some changes coming up. One of the a very sensible change that I'd like to see replicated here is the ability for um, their entities to share suspicious matter reporting information with their auditors, um, which makes sense because in order to actually test that whole process, you need to be able to see this information. There's no getting around that. And I think traditionally that's always been the case anyway, but now this just makes sure that no one gets caught out by sharing that information with their auditors. Uh, once again, New Zealand does not clearly define that either, but in reality, the auditors have to be able to see, to work through that reporting process, we'll see information that relates to suspicious activities. There's just no getting around that. So I'd like to see a, a similar piece brought into New Zealand as well. Um, look, the other thing is that with the large increase in reporting entities under phase two, 
Um, so a lot more reporting entities and a lot more need for other uh, other experts and other auditors in the market. So we are seeing a lot of new uh, auditors into the space, new consultants. Um, just a reminder there, of course, with any reporting entity, make sure when you are dealing with an auditor, make sure it's your responsibility to ensure that they're independent and that they are qualified to meet those requirements. Uh, you need to determine what sort of audit you want to get. And so you need to make sure that the person has some experience um, and, and you're able, once again, you're able to demonstrate that. So if the supervisor said to you, how did you know that your auditor was independent and um, qualified? You need to be able to demonstrate that. So that's another thing I would, I would highlight. Okay. Has COVID impacted this component of entities programs? Yeah, I think it certainly did. Um, the lockdown certainly proved some challenges. Uh, I, I think that highlighted a couple of things. One, uh, I, I for one generally try to avoid doing any sort of remote auditing. I pre preference is always to go on site and, and sit with people and sit with their systems. It just tends to work better. Uh, but often an increase in demand for remote audits. But there are increasing challenges with accessing people's systems remotely, when in many cases they were also accessing their systems remotely. Uh, I, I did one during a lockdown when I was asking them to click something on their screen, and they said, what screen do you think I'm on? And I said, this one, and they said, that's two screens ago. So <laughs> there, look, there are always some challenges, as well as um, it, in many cases, the stress of an audit, what wasn't uh, very useful when there was also the stress of being in lockdown, um, often with the kids in the background. So I think that alone has, has caused a few issues. Uh, but look, the, the big one for me is I think the I think COVID and the increased lockdowns um, really got people looking at things like electronic identity verification and outsourcing of customer due diligence a lot more. Uh, so that's where it got increasingly harder to meet the customers face to face, get documents, get certified copies of documents done. So it was natural that these sort of services would come through and become more popular. Um, that said, the key thing when you take on any new system or provider like this is you have to make sure your program is updated, make sure your processes are updated. Have you thought about how that process fits into your wider customer due diligence framework, for example? And in some cases, that's where I, I started to see gaps where uh, people had put these things in place very quickly but hadn't really thought through the changes or the flow-on effects to the rest of their processes. And I think the, the outsourcing of CDD is another big one where um, people just have to take care with, with any provider of, of these types of services. Always make sure you understand what are they providing, what are they not providing, and what, what do I need to, make, do, need to do to make sure that it still meets my requirements and my risk appetite for my program. So yeah, that would be the one that, that sort of stood out the most to me. Makes sense. So, of course, we always like to ask about automation here on the Jade Third Eye podcast. Um, when it comes to the audit and review or independent assurance um, obligations, how does automation or does automation help entities in this area? Yeah, look, I think automation certainly does. Um, with things like transaction monitoring systems, it means for me that the records should be all in one place, that they will have their rules, their parameters in there. Um, they'll hopefully have all the alerts, the investigation, the, the disposition, disposition, the suspicious activity reports, all saved in one place. And um, so that's always a, a great thing to know when you're going in, I know where to find the records. 
Um, but of course, even with elements of automation, you can start removing some of the, those human errors. So you're not trying to reconcile spreadsheets to each other to work out whether the alerts dropped off. Um, someone didn't forget to close off a particular case because they can, um, you can see in the system it doesn't go anywhere until it's it's being dealt with. So use of these types of systems are really helpful um, from that point of view that that you know where to find things. Often that it's, it can be as simple as that, but in some cases, things like audit logs for your rules and parameters. So you're not relying on someone's knowledge as to when they change their rules. It's all in the system. Um, you can go through and work out what they were doing at each time. So I tend to find these things to be pretty helpful. And if reporting entities do have automation tools in place, is there anything special they should know or be prepared to think about when it comes to having an auditor uh, or a reviewer get involved? Yeah, look, I think one key example for me would be uh, if you're using a transaction monitoring system, um, you've got your rules and parameters set up. You should have a clear reasoning behind why why have you got that set of rules and those set of parameters. So make sure you've got uh, some supporting information to show these are the risks that we're addressing. This is why we think these particular rules and parameters are adequate for our business. So make sure there's that, that supporting information. The bit that a lot of entities forget about is things like assurance around the data going into their systems. So how are they getting, um, you know, getting comfortable that the right data from their business systems is flowing into their transaction monitoring? How do they know that the rule sets are working as expected? And then it comes down to, well, how do you demonstrate it to an auditor? So some things like data integrity is not something that an uh, at this level an AML auditor will necessarily get into a deep dive on um, data integrity, but they'll be looking to you to say, look, how do, can you demonstrate to me that you've done this? So these are things that you should be, you should be thinking about. You should understand how the automation works. Uh, sounds pretty straightforward, but you should actually understand what systems are flowing and how the data, what data fields are coming from the system. Uh, because often if we start seeing some errors that the rules aren't working quite the way they're supposed to, we will ask questions around what what field, which data is data fields is this pulling from in the system? Does the system have this information? So if we if we try to make a recommendation around additional rules or something of that nature, we need to understand do you have that data? Do you have the fields? Is that something that's capable of? So mapping your key systems, I think, is always important. Have a have a nice, easy map to, for the auditors to um, to demonstrate. This is our key systems we use. This is the flow of information that we're using. And look, from my own personal point of view, if you want your auditor to have access to the systems, get that prepared ahead of the day before I turn up. Um, just so that uh, give me the required access I need to spend some time going through the systems and otherwise without um, having to lose half a day waiting for someone to realize how to put you into the system or or otherwise. So um, talk to your provider ahead of time and, and let them know is there an auditor setting we can let them have view only access and let them see what they need to see uh, without you know giving giving me the keys to, to do any damage behind the scenes by accident. Um, so look, those are the things I always say to people, make sure you understand how your systems work and make sure you're able to demonstrate it. 
Great, that's great advice. Thank you so much for all of your time today, Martin. We really appreciate the information and um, I'm sure it's really helpful in folks as they head into this year of 2021, where I think a lot of people will be having audits and reviews. So super helpful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ashley.